Just so you know, for those of you guys who are newer, the way we do things around here is we tend to preach an Old Testament book and a New Testament book and an Old Testament book and a New Testament book and go back and forth and back and forth. And then in between those books, what we like to do is we like to sprinkle in uh, series that are really pertinent to where we are as a church, maybe some things that have kind of come to our attention that we want to address or to strengthen us with. And so that's kind of how we do it. But we love to preach through books. And what that kind of forces us to do is whoever's teaching, it forces us to really go to whatever's next, the next page, and that's the next verse, and that's what we're going to be preaching. Because uh, truth is, I have things that I really like to preach on that are, you know, for me, fun, and maybe my soapbox or whatever. And uh, what this does is it forces me to preach uh, whatever's there. And sometimes it can be uh, challenging, and sometimes it can be uncomfortable. And for me, this week's passage is kind of one of those. It's, it's a difficult passage uh, to, to preach. And so it should be fun for you, but challenging for me. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to do some work this morning. And um, we're in, in James chapter 2. And so you can go ahead and start turning there. We have Bibles provided here for you if you need a Bible. I believe they're under the seats. And so grab one of those. If you don't have a Bible at home, take that home. That's our gift for you. We'd love for you to have uh, a Bible. I think it's the greatest gift you could ever um, really tangibly take home with you that we could give you is a copy of God's Word. So have that. James was, as we've said all along, he's the half-brother of Jesus. He's the, young, uh, the oldest of the younger brothers of Jesus. He becomes a leader of the church of Jerusalem, as we'll actually look at some of that scripture later. Uh, James, when Jesus was walking the earth, didn't even believe that Jesus was Lord. He didn't Uh, believe that he was the Messiah. But then Jesus dies upon the cross. He resurrects to life. And then according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he appears to James and James is like, that's my brother. I saw him die. And he's alive. And James begins to uh, follow Jesus and becomes a believer and becomes a leader in the church of Jerusalem. And in this book, we'll see that James is really concerned with authentic faith. He's concerned with authentic faith. Christianity practically lived out. So uh, this Saturday, yesterday, uh, was our Kids Connect ministry over at the Washington Beach Housing Complex, our Kids Connect uh, children's ministry there. It's just really a great ministry that God's uh, allowed us to be a part of there. And uh, a group of our people were there. They were serving children and, and families there. And so they spent their Saturday mornings after a hard work week or a week at school, they spent their Saturday mornings not sleeping in, not resting, but they spent their Saturday morning over at the housing complex working with children, a uh, pretty exhausting uh, group of children at times. Now, question, what has to happen in the heart of a person that would cause them to want to spend their Saturday serving like this? Also, during the week, we have a, a, a growing group of people who are in, engaged in mentorship. And we pray that our mentorship will turn into discipleship so that it's not just helping them with life skills, but helping them really grow in the Lord. But we have this group of people that are doing that with, uh, with uh, teenagers, high school, middle school, and even younger children one-on-one. It's a beautiful thing that's happening there. And so after a long day of work, instead of driving home, they drive to go pick up a teenager or to pick up a kid and to pour into them. Same question. What has to happen in the heart of a person in order for them to want to sacrifice and to give like this? It's been a hard day at work and yet they're out giving and serving and and hanging out with with kids. We have one lady who um, took time to connect with a woman who's struggling with hoarding. She's hoarding stuff. Filthy apartment, just tons of stuff going on. And this woman invested in her, spent time to help her clean an apartment that is actually maybe even challenging just to sit in. She actually helped clean the apartment. And then began to invest in this woman and to take her out to dinner and to spend time with her. Same question. What has to happen in the heart of a person that would cause them to want to do things like that? And this is what James addresses 
in our passage today. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, the second half of the chapter is where we're going to be this morning. So make sure you're there. In those Bibles provided, it's page 870. Uh, And again, if you don't have a Bible, take that one home. Please, please take that one home. We'd love for you to have it. What we're going to do with this morning's text, uh, verses 14 through 26, is we're going to divide it up into two sections. The first one, uh, 14 through 19, and then the second section, the second half, is 20 through 26. And we're going we're gonna to start with uh, the, the first verse together. And so I want to kind of bookend it, look at the first and the last verse here. So look at verse uh, 14 with me. He says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you guys this question, same question. I'm going to ask you the question, and I know we don't typically do this, but I want you to actually answer the question out loud, just so we can really get this, okay? First question that he asks us, asks us is, is this. What good is it if someone says he has faith but does not have works? The applied answer is no good, right? It does us no good. No, it's no good, right? Second question. Maybe we'll get this one. He says, can that faith save him? No. The implied answer is, no, it cannot. It cannot save him. All right. Now, that faith. He says that faith. Let's talk about that faith that that James is referring to. That faith he's talking about is faith without works. Faith without works. Or or faith or, or Christianity without resulting actions without love and, and good deeds. And so for the remainder of our time together, what I want to do is I want to call that faith, I want to call it dead faith. That's dead faith. And here's why. Look at verse 26. Now we'll get the other, the, the other book in. It says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And so he says, okay, so a human body without the spirit, without the soul, without life, is, is dead. It's just a body. It's dead. It says, likewise, Christian faith without works, he says, is dead. It's dead faith. It's not alive. Dead faith. Now, told you we're going to divide it up into two sections. 14 through 19 is the first section, and, and 20 through 26 is the second section. So we're going to go through the, the second half first, and then get to the first half at the end, because the first half has a lot of the practical implications I don't want to look at. But let's get conceptually uh, what's going on here first. And so let's start with verse 20. Verse 20. He says, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Now it sounds like, as he's talking to the 12 tribes of the dispersion, as we see in verse 1 of this book, chapter 1, it sounds like there are some Christians in the mix there who had what he calls dead faith. He's ticked off. He's, he's frustrated. He's brutally honest brother of Jesus. And he says in this fiery tone here, you foolish person. You foolish person. Let's keep going. Verses 21 through 26. He says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith was active along with his works. And that faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. What? Verse 25. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. All right. That is probably one of the most difficult passages of the Bible. And for those of you who are familiar with the Bible, maybe that rubbed you a little bit, did it? <laughs> Even for me, I read it, I'm like, oh, i got to preach that somehow. It kind of rubs a, a little bit because the wording here is tough. In fact, if, if we misinterpret this section of the Bible, we run the risk of misinterpreting the entire Bible. 
And so we really have to, to dig here. And so I want to make your brains work a little bit here, if that's okay. Look at verse 24. Can I read it again? Verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. How does that feel? <laughs> You've been familiar with the Bible. How does that feel? Because for those of us who have spent time in the Apostle Paul's letters, it seems contrary, right? Can you be honest? Yes? Seems, seems contrary. Take Romans 5.1, for example. It says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What are we justified by? By faith. In fact, Paul frequently teaches we are justified by faith. We are justified by faith. We are justified by faith. The root word of justified being justice, right? Justice, a, a legal term that we, all of us, have broken the, the law of God. We have all sinned against him. And sinning against a sovereign God, all-powerful, he's in control, he made us, sinning against him is high treason. And so the only appropriate sentence for high treason is death and separation from him for all eternity. Because he's the infinitely holy, perfect, good, unfathomable God, and we've committed high treason against him with our sins against him, saying, I'll be in charge, I'll do my own thing. All of us. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. And because God is God, and because God is utterly perfect, he is perfectly just. And so the sentence must be paid. Justice must be served. We like justice except when it's applied to us, don't we? You know how that works? For some reason, every now and again, when my boys get in trouble, my oldest one enjoys when the other one gets put in timeout. And the youngest one enjoys... When the, the oldest one gets put in timeout, but when it's their turn, no, they just flip out. We like justice applied to other people, but not to ourselves. But he's perfect, and he is just, and so justice must be served. But also, because God is God, and he's utterly perfect, he's also perfectly loving, and he's perfectly compassionate. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, um, says that he wishes that none should perish. He doesn't want the sentence to be upon us. He wishes that none should perish. And so he's the only one who can really do anything about it because he's in control. He's, he's the Lord. And so we kind of have this, this issue here. And so what he does, as you may know, is he sends his son Jesus. He comes into the, the earth as, as a man, Jesus of, of Nazareth. And he lives perfectly, the only one who's ever lived perfectly. Therefore, undeserving of the sentence that we are all deserving of. Yet he dies a sinner's death. He takes that sentence for us. Much like with my sons, if one of them does something wrong and needs to um, get a reminder, as we call them, we give them reminders. And so imagine the other one saying, no, no, no. I understand justice must be served. Take me, right? Imagine that happening. In fact, I actually was teaching my oldest son one time about what Jesus did for me. And one time he actually said, Dad, can I have a reminder for Luca? I said, are you, what? I said, what are you talking about? He goes, because of what Jesus did. And it just, I wanted to cry. It was absolutely amazing. But Jesus takes our sentence for us. And because of that, justice can be served. Right? And that's why Paul says we can be justified. We can have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ by faith in what he has done. Not by faith in what we have done because we haven't really done, compared to an infinitely holy God, we haven't done much. And our best efforts, Paul says, are like filthy rags. And so we have to have faith in what he has done that we cannot earn peace with God. No matter how hard we try, we have all sinned against him and we will all continue to sin against him even after becoming a christian and trusting in the lord uh, yesterday at kids connect uh, i dropped my son off and i remember stepping on the hallway and then i started to listen in because mark was teaching uh, the kids their bible memory verse romans three twenty three. all have sinned and fall short of the glory 
of God. My son was quoting it in the car with me this morning as we went to uh, uh, get in the car and head on the way to church. He already had it memorized. He was excited. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Have you ever thought about that verse? All have sinned, past, and fall, present and future, short of the glory. We sinned, and we continue to sin. We continue to sin, and so we're deserving of the consequence. Yet Jesus pays the justice and takes on our penalty. And if we trust in what he has done, we can be made right with God. And the beauty of the Christian faith is that we are free because of Jesus. We're free. So we don't have to spend our entire lives hoping that we're good enough. My question always is, how good is good enough? If you can earn it, you think God wants you to spend your entire life saying, I hope I was good enough. I hope I loved enough people. I hope I went to church enough times. I hope I took enough communion. I hope that baptism counts. I hope, I hope. No, we can know because we have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Christian faith is freedom. We don't have to live a life of hoping we can know. We don't have to perform and do our works out of fear of God. Instead, our our works really flow out of our love for God and our trust in God. So good news. For my wife and I, tonight is date night. Yeah, love this night. And it's going to be fun. Now, suppose I give her flowers. Suppose. I don't give her flowers, and here's why. She told me. She said, don't spend money on flowers. She's just not a flower girl. She said, it's just, you know, they just wither. <laughs> and so we spend our money elsewhere. But anyhow, suppose I give her flowers, and she goes, oh, Josh, you shouldn't have. Now, I'm going to give you two responses. Which response is more beautiful, more authentic? If I say, well, Beck, you know, um, I just wanted to prevent you from ever leaving me. <laughs> so every now and again, I try to do nice things so that you'll never leave me. <laughs> That's one option. Or I could say, Becky, I love you so much, baby. <laughs> like a deep voice, baby. You've been so good to me, despite my flaws. wanted to give you these flowers because I love you. See, the first response is motivated out of fear. Motivated out of I hope she never leaves me. <laughs> and I've got to earn her love, and I've got to earn her favor. But the beautiful, more authentic response is, is, is this. It's out of deep gratitude and out of an overflow of love for her and out of an overflow of love for the fact that I have security in her, that I don't have to perform, that she loves me when I lose my temper. She loves me even though I've, I've messed up. She loves me. And so I want to do things that are nice for her. Not flowers, not me, but some people. Go for it. So this is the gospel. This is the good news that the Apostle Paul uh, preaches, that we can have peace and right relationship with God because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Security and freedom and perfect love, Scripture says, does what? Cast out fear. Not because of our works, but because of, of his works. Justification by Faith in Jesus, not justification by our works. Now, most Paul, Paul's uh, most famous uh, passage of Scripture, I believe, and he's got many that are just so wonderful, uh, but Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of your own doing, it is gift, not a reward, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Can't say I'm better than you. Look what I've done. No. No one can boast because we have been saved through faith. And so Paul's message is clear. You are saved. Some of you, you're believers. You are saved. Some of you are not believers. You can be saved from the sentence based on faith and trust in Jesus and not in our works. Okay. Now let's get into the challenging stuff. Why then would James say, verse 24, a person is justified by works and not faith alone. Are Paul and James at odds? Are, uh, is James trying to, to correct a false teaching from the Apostle Paul and follow up and say, well, actually, 
Is Paul even teaching a false gospel? He's got a lot more content in the New Testament than James does, and so we read a lot of his stuff. Wait, is he preaching a a false gospel? No, he's not. And let me show you. And hopefully this will be helpful for you to give you confidence, and maybe it'll help you to share with other people who say, oh, the Bible, I just think it contradicts itself. Turn left with me to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. Galatians chapter 2, just a few pages to the left, verses 1 and 2. Paul is speaking here, and he's describing this experience that he had. And so read with me, verses 1 and 2. He says, Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. All right. What is Paul doing here? What's, what's, what's going on? He says, for 14 years I, I've been in ministry. I've been preaching the gospel, the gospel of salvation by faith, not works. I've been calling people to trust in Jesus. I've seen people trust in Jesus. I've seen their lives changed. And I've been starting churches with these new believers all over the place. And now after 14 years, uh, he, he says that he asks the question of himself, do I, do I have the gospel right? So 14 years, seen a lot of lives changed, started a lot, of, a lot of churches. But do I have this right? He says, I wanted to make sure that I was not running in vain. I wanted to, to make sure. And so he goes up to uh, Jerusalem to the, the very first church. And he presents the gospel that he has been proclaiming among the Gentiles to the church of Jerusalem, which would have been Jewish people, non-Gentiles. And what happens? Let's see what happens. Skip ahead to verse 9 now. Now look at verse 9 with me. We'll read 9 and 10. It says, And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles, and they to the circumcised, the Jews. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Man, I hope that's us. We'd be eager to remember the poor. So what happens here? He gets to Jerusalem. He goes before the leaders of the church in private, he says in the first couple of verses. So he goes before Cephas, that's Peter. He goes before John. And he goes before who? And he goes before James brother of Jesus, who wrote this little letter of, of James. And what was their verdict? He says, all right, I, I, I want to know. Have I been running in, in vain? Have I been teaching in vain the gospel that I've been teaching of, of salvation by, by faith alone? And what was their verdict? Their verdict was they raised their fist. And they said, pound it. Right on, man. That's the gospel. That's it. You, you have it. Yes, this is it, right? And so are Paul and James at odds in the gospel they preach? No. They gave him the right hand of fellowship. They said, we're good. You see that God's grace is upon you? We're, we're preaching the same message? We're, we're good. And so they both, Paul and James, though some of their words seem to contradict they they are preaching the same gospel salvation by faith not as a result of work so that no one can boast and so what james back in james chapter 2 is preaching is this he's saying listen faith and works they go together they cannot be separated that true faith in jesus as you trust in him you become a new creature gives you new life it will be evidenced by works you show me a, a, a Christian who is proclaiming the name of Christ, and then I want to see their works. I mean, how can we say Jesus has made me new, but then our lives show no evidence of actually being changed? How, we, how can we proclaim I'm a new creature because of Jesus with no signs of, of change in our lives? The scripture says that we are dead and made alive, that we are blind, but now we see that we were in darkness and now we're in 
light. So there should be real change. There should be real evidence in our lives of that is what James is saying. Now, back to James 2, verses 20 through 26 where we were. James, what he does also in this section is he gives us uh, two examples of, of people whose faith was proven authentic because it was evidenced by works. The first one he gives, verse 25, if you want to look there, he mentions Rahab the prostitute. Not a person that done a whole lot of good. She was a prostitute. She was involved in some terrible things. And back in Joshua chapter 2 in the Old Testament, she placed faith in uh, the, the Lord. She declares truth about the sovereignty of the Lord. And it's evidenced by her works that she then goes on to protect two men of God by risking her own neck. And so you saw the works, evidence of her, her faith. And so her authentic faith in God led to works. And her name ends up getting recorded in Hebrews chapter 11, that famous chapter of Scripture, the Hall of Faith. Not the Hall of Fame, but the Hall of Faith. And so faith and works are connected. The other example, this is an important one for us, that James gives is Abraham. He talks about Abraham. Look at verses 21 through 23, and I want to read those again. 21 through 23. He says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You remember that story? God says, I want you to offer your son. He says, say what? I want you to offer your son. So in faith, he goes up to the altar to offer his son. And he gets ready. And God says, no. God says, no. Praise God that it wasn't brought to fruition. But we saw real evidence of his faith. Verse 22, he says, you see, that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. Verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. So there's more evidence that Paul and James are not contradicting each other because it's interesting that James mentions Abraham here and Paul also mentions Abraham several times, primarily in Romans chapter 4 to show us Abraham was justified by faith. He shows us Abraham was justified by faith. Even in the Old Testament, people are justified not by their works, not by doing great things, but justified by trusting in God. If you want to dig a little deeper, and those of you who are are ready to study, I'd encourage you to dig a little deeper and look up Romans 4, read that, and then read uh, James 2 here and and, and really dig deeper. But what I want you to see uh, important here is the fact that that when they illustrate Abraham, when when they show Abraham's faith, Paul points to the early part of Abraham's faith when his faith was, was authentic faith, right? He, he, he points to that early part, that when he's, he's willing to sacrifice his own uh, son um, is what J- James is pointing to. And so Paul will say, remember, it was counted to him as righteousness when he believed in Jesus. And then James will talk about when he's willing to sacrifice his own son. You see the difference there? Paul's pointing to exercising faith in Jesus. And James is pointing to it's evidenced by he was willing to sacrifice his own son. And so they both, quoting verse, uh, Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, uh, they say, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So we see this in, in verse 23. And, and Paul also will talk about that. And so they both believe that justification comes at the point of faith. Now, it's technical here, so hang in there with me a little bit longer. So verse 23, Abraham's salvation is at the moment of faith. So both James and Paul point to that. And then in verse 24, in light of all of this, in light of all of this, we need to understand what James is talking about when he says there's justification by works and not faith alone, because that's still, still kind of confusing. He's still kind of confused a little bit. I want to I point out to you that in the original Greek language, this word justified is uh, used in, in two ways. It's used to say to make right, like the Apostle Paul will use it in Romans chapter 5 as we saw earlier. So justify could be to, to be made right with God because of Jesus. That's what Paul says. And the other way that Scripture uses it is this. This is important. is to be proven to be right, 
to be proven that you are right. This is how James is, is using the word. And I'll, I'll show you in Luke chapter 7, verse 35, Jesus uses it the way James uses it. Remember, they sound a lot alike. And what Jesus says in Luke chapter 7, verse 35, he says, he says this. He says, yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Wisdom is justified by all her children. And so what he's saying is this. He's saying, if someone gives you advice and it works, that advice, that wisdom was justified. It was proven to be right because it worked. Does that make sense? And this is how James is using the word justified here. That Abraham was not made right because of his works, but he was proven to have been made right because of his works. His works were proof that he has already been made right. And so it's very technical stuff, but very important. And if we get this wrong, we get the entire faith wrong. We cannot earn our salvation. If we are truly saved, if we are truly changed, it will be proven true. It will be justified by our actions. So, what do our actions say? Think about your own life. Begin to examine your own life. What do your actions say? Let's, let's even go before the actions. What does your heart say? What are the desires of your heart? Because we fulfill the desires of our heart, right? You're here this morning because... Church was important to you. You wanted to make it work. You wanted to come even though you have work to do, even though you're tired. You, 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 wanted, it, you wanted to come. So what do your actions say? Do they display heart change? Do they display that you are a new creature, that you have exercised faith in the Lord Jesus? And are they increasingly changing? This is what I mean. Not everybody's changed overnight. Look at the Apostle Paul. It was like, boom, boom. I mean, just going this way, I'm going this way. I'm going to kill Christians. Oh, no, I'm not killing Christians over there now. I'm coming to Jesus. And other people, it's a little slower coming. But we need to see evidence. Are you being changed? That's why when I travel to speak at a youth camp or something, I will so, I'll tell people, people say, how many people got saved? And I'll say, there were... 24 professions of faith. I'm not going to know for sure. Time will tell as it's evidenced by their works. And so look at your life. Are you changing, growing in Christ-likeness? And there's a lot of this and this and this and this. But if you pan out a little bit, true Christian, it's actually a lot of this. There's dips, but you're actually growing and your life is being changed and you're living Increasingly, increasingly, increasingly for the Lord, or as the scripture say, it says, you're being made perfect. Right? You're sanctified. Now, I want to close with this. I told you we're going to go to the first half now, and we're going to just have the practical implications here. And I want to close with signs of dead faith. Maybe this will be helpful for you. Signs of dead faith. And I want to give you three from the first half, verses 14 through 19. Here's the first sign of dead faith or inauthentic faith or deceiving faith, that faith that deceives you into thinking I'm good, I'm all good. Maybe you're actually not. And the first sign is this, profession without produce. Profession without produce. Look at verse 14. Again, he says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And so James says, look, it's possible to say, I place my faith in Jesus, but not actually have placed faith in Jesus, not actually be made right with God, because true faith is evidenced by life change. Remember, James is the brother of Jesus, half-brother. And what does Jesus say? Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 he says, a tree is known by its fruit. A tree is known by its produce. And so, uh, is your faith bearing fruit like it's supposed to? Is your faith bearing the fruit of devotion to the Lord? Increasing devotion to the Lord. 
Don't compare yourself to the person sitting next to you. Increasing devotion to the Lord. Is your faith bearing the fruit of a desire to serve people, love people, give to people, a heart for people? Is your faith bearing the fruit of a love for the church? You will know them by what? That they love one another, Scripture says. So you should love, want to be a part of a church that loves Jesus. And if not, if your, your tree, if your life isn't bearing fruit, then what we need to do is we need to, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, where Paul tells us, he says, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. He says, test yourself. And so we need to do that. We're going to test our own hearts. Am I in the faith? What does my life actually say? Was that just a moment that I cling to from childhood or from my teenage years? where I you know, was emotionally stirred a little bit. I didn't really actually place faith in Jesus. I placed faith in a funny preacher. I placed faith at this youth camp because there was a lights and fog machines and an awesome band. Or did you faith, place faith in Jesus because you want him? most frightening passage in all the Bible to me is Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, I'm following you, will enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, but, here's who will, the one who does the will of my Father. So it's, Lord, I trust you, evidenced by by fruit. So we need to examine first ourselves, the produce, and then the second thing I want to encourage you is to think about the people in your own life. Who's in your own life? that needs this challenge. Do you love people enough to say, I think you might have a false assurance. Do you think you might have a false assurance? I feel like, I told you guys this a few weeks ago, but I feel like a big theme of my ministry since I've been preaching has been challenging, complacent Christianity and saying, listen, I think you might be deceived. The vast number of Christians in America because it's so easy to just become a Christian, like a social club. You've got great things happening, events and whatnot. I think a lot of Christians in America are deceived and have false assurance. We also need to be extremely careful. We're going to have kids. Some of you have kids already. When we talk to, to, talk to our kids about Jesus, if you're teaching downstairs, we talk to them about Jesus. Or when you're talking to the week about Jesus because it is easy to manipulate children and it is easy to manipulate uh, the week. And so right now, my oldest son is starting to really start to comprehend the gospel. As I told you before, he wanted to take a punishment for his brother because he said, that's what Jesus did for me. And so I'm trying to be really careful here because I could sit down with him. I probably could have last year and said, Isaiah, do you love Jesus? Yep. Isaiah, what did Jesus do on the cross for you? He died for my sins. Okay, check. Do you believe that Jesus is God? Yep. Do you want to sin anymore? Nope. Do you want to be forgiven of sins? Yep. Do you want to follow Jesus all the days of your life? Yep. Let's go, right? And we could do that. However, we want to be very sensitive to, is he just able to check all the boxes, or is the Holy Spirit really working in his heart that God's doing this, and I'm not forcing this. And so it's a, it's a difficult thing. But prayerfully, as a parent... As a children's ministry teacher, be careful here. We want to see evidence of God's spirit moving in that little heart. So when I speak at a camp or a youth retreat, again, those kids have been out of their environment, home life, for a week or a long weekend. And they're fired up. It's just been a lot of fun. They're out of their environment a little bit. And there's an awesome band playing great music. And emotions are running high. And I have to be very careful to help them to discern the work of the Holy Spirit so that they're not professing Jesus and for the rest of their lives banking on this experience at camp where they were never really justified because it was never really proven with life change. And so it's dangerous work. So look ahead to verse 1 of chapter 3. This is why James will say, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. A lot of pressure. A lot of pressure. 
heard somebody say, man, it must be hard to be a preacher. Big head, you know. I'm like, dude, you have no idea. I'm frightened to preach. I'm frightened to preach because we will be judged with greater strictness. Man, it's serious. So we need to see produce with profession. Show me the fruit, right? Next sign of dead faith is this. Concern without compassion. Concern without compassion. Look at verses 15 through 17. It says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you say to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So James gives us another illustration Similar to last week's illustrations we saw in the first half of chapter 2 about a wealthy person and a poor person coming into the church and who do you pay more uh, attention to. It says a lot about what you're up to in your heart. So he says, let's, let's just kind of assume that uh, a professing Christian meets somebody who can't clothe themselves or they're, they're starving, they're hungry. Oh, well, you're a Christian, so he says, of course, you're going you're gonna to act concerned because that's what Christians do. We, we're concerned, Right? When we say things like, oh, my heart goes out to you, brother. Oh, I will pray for you. It's an easy one, right? Just, I'll pray for you. Whether we actually do it, I like to write it down. Or if you see me when you say something and I pull out my phone, it's because I'm plugging in. Pray for Ryan. His life is screwed up right now. I'm just kidding. So, because <laughs> I, I want to remember, right? But we, as Christians, we can say, I'll pray for you. Oh, right? He says, but then you go on and you say, Go in peace, be warm, and be filled. But we do nothing? He says, what, what is that? He's saying a sign of dead faith is continued disregard for the needy. Now listen, we've all disregarded the needy at some point in our lives, and we probably all will continue to sin and struggle. But if you can just continue to shut them out and not care and not serve and not want to do something, man, how can you call yourself a Christian, he says. Back to verse 13 of, of last week's text, chapter 2. Those who, will, uh, those who have been shown mercy will show mercy, right? And churches are really good. We're really good at looking concerned. A lot of churches are really bad at doing anything about it, right? We can, we can act concerned really well, but if we really cared, we would do something, right? It's easy to sit around and say, let's talk about all the terrible things in our world. Let's pray for them. It's an entirely different thing to say, let's do something about it. You ever been to that church before? We're not perfect, but have you ever been to that church? Prayer meeting rolls around. Pastor John steps up and he says, "Uh, church family, I just want to let you know that Brother Bill uh, had a back injury at work. Uh, It's really bad. And uh, as you know, his wife, Susie, uh, battling breast cancer. And as you know, they have four young children. And that's the moment where we do the Christian grunt. You know what I'm talking about? Mm. You, know, you know, it's Christian grunt when they, something awful, and you're just like, mm. you, you just, mm. it's a prayer thing we do, right? And then he turns around and says something like, so they're moving on Saturday, and uh, they, they could use some help because his back and his wife and four kids. Anybody available? <laughs> Awkward silence, crickets, right? We're just kind of like, and you're thinking, like, okay, you know, Notre Dame is playing Michigan State. <laughs> um, I'm going golfing. It's been a hard week. Concern without compassion. Oh, yeah, we care. We don't actually have any acts of compassion for them. I guarantee you, those same guys, if their buddies say, hey, I got Pat's tickets free Saturday, I'm in. Forget golfing, right? Forget that it was a crazy, I'm going, right? Concern without compassion. Authentic faith. A person who has authentic faith is a person who has been so gripped by the sacrifice of Jesus. How can I not sacrifice for somebody else? It's not a burden. It's, I get to do this because Jesus did this for me. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to display that kind of sacrificial love where there's nothing in it for me. 
Well, there's everything in it for another person. Because that's what Jesus did. Nothing in it for him except getting nailed to a cross. Last sign of dead faith is this. Doctrine without discipleship. Doctrine without discipleship. Look at verses 18 through 19. 18 through 19. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. What is James talking about? He's talking about their theology. He's talking about their their doctrine. He says, you believe that God is one. You have great theology. You believe in one God. You are following monotheism, right? The Trinity, God in three persons, one God. You got it. You got it down. Good job. Good for you. So here's the problem. Your doctrine isn't enough. He says, you know what? Even the demons believe. (laughs) Satan and the demons believe that God is one. They believe in the the Trinity, but they're not disciples. They're not following God. They don't love the Lord with all their heart and soul and mind. They don't love their neighbor as themselves. You ever met these Christians? Their doctrine, their Bible, they, they know it. Button up real tight. I know this doctrine. I got my Bible down. There can appear to be a lack of love for the Lord and a lack of passion for the Lord and for people. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not that guy. I've seen that guy, that preacher, frustrates the mess out of me, who gets up and says, listen, forget theology, just love people. No, that's not us. That's not us. We believe in theology. Scripture makes it very clear that we are to, to use our minds to glorify the Lord, that knowing God's word is massively important. Like Paul tells Timothy, he says, watch closely for your doctrine. It's important. Don't dismiss doctrine. But he's saying here, it's very possible to be strong in doctrine, but weak in discipleship. We can know it, we're not living it. It's dead faith. Now notice verse 19. He says, even the demons believe and shudder. Let's talk about shudder for a second here. So not only did the demons have great doctrine, but occasionally they even act upon their doctrine. They, they shudder. We believe he's one and, oh, wow, they shudder. You know, all throughout the New Testament, there's signs and stories of, of demons freaking out when Jesus comes around, right? They just go, they go nuts because they knew his power and they, they, they shuddered at it. They had good doctrine and they even acted occasionally upon that doctrine. They didn't call him Lord. What I'm trying to point out is that sometimes people can even act upon some of their doctrine but still have dead faith. What I mean by it is this. For example, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25. It's the pastor's passage to make you feel bad for not coming to church, right? Be there, right? And so a lot of people can, can hear that passage and say, I believe it's important to God to be at church. I'll go, to, I'll go to church because I, I get it. Yet, you can still be dead in faith. You can do churchy things, but still be dead in faith. It's doctrine without discipleship. Genuine love for God. Genuine desire. I want to follow God. It's before the actions. It's what's in your heart. I'm a disciple of, of Jesus. And so can you see now how these three things can really deceive people? We can be deceived. We can have profession without produce, that, that I can call myself a Christian or a Catholic or a Lutheran or a Baptist or whatever because that's what I do, that's where I've been, that's what I... But listen, professing that doesn't make you alive in faith. It's deceiving. It's actually life change that has to be displayed. Concern without compassion, that you feel bad for people. I wish you the best. Wow, that's awful. Right? But fail to be moved with compassion. The helpless state of people like Jesus was moved with compassion at the crowds. He went on to die for them, the scripture says. He came after me in my helpless state. And then doctrine without discipleship. There are a lot of people who know about God, 
but they don't know God. Never had their hearts set ablaze in faith in Jesus. The bottom line is there is dead faith, and there's the faith that is living and authentic and, and real. Faith that is evidenced, justified, proven to be right. With a, a life of love for God and a life of love for, for people. So examine yourself. See if you're in the faith. All of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would stir our hearts and we know if our faith is real. And we look at our lives see if there's evidence. And if not, God, I know you don't want us to be shamed by that. You want us to turn to you with faith and trust in you. Be made new and live out in your power these works. But you have to do that work in hearts, God. So would you do that, Lord? In us, in the people we interact with, in this village of Rosendale, in West Boston, in Boston, in New England, and to the uttermost parts of the world. May there be authentic faith. May we see a third great awakening in New England, Father. May we be a part of it, please. Would it start with us that we would be alive in you, not dead faith, living faith in Jesus. If there's people in this room, God, who today are stirred and need to turn to you. Help them to do that right now. To say yes to Jesus, trust in what Jesus has done, and be saved by grace through faith. Not because of their works, but because of your works. Would you give them newness of life? In Jesus' name we pray.